Turn with me to the book of Ezra, please. Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. Congratulations on making it this morning. The clocks went forward and so did you. Amen. It's an exciting time. As T mentioned, I had the privilege of sharing the word of God with you last week and we began by reading together from the book of Ezra and that's where we're going to begin again today. God is at work, isn't he? He's doing a great thing. Ezra 1 verse 1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The Lord put it into the mind of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Whoever is among his people, may his God be with him and may he go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor wherever he lives be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods and livestock along with a freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So the family leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone God had motivated, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a freewill offering. Would you turn over to chapter 4 of the same book, please? Ezra chapter 4. By this point... The people we've mentioned here have returned to the land and have started to rebuild the house. And in verse 4 of Ezra 4, it says, The people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia until the reign of King Darius of Persia. Now, we were reading this week the book of Haggai, uh, as well as Zechariah and Malachi. Would you turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Haggai, please? Haggai is a very short book. It's in between Zephaniah and Zechariah, so I promise you it's in there. Haggai was a prophet who prophesied into the days of... Ezra, he's prophesying into the situation we've just read about where the exiles have begun rebuilding, have been dissuaded and discouraged and frustrated by the enemies of God's purpose. And so God sends them a prophet. Haggai chapter 1 verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. The Lord of hosts says this, These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, the Lord of hosts says, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. 
You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. Then I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? Because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. When we put these passages of scripture together, we see something amazing. God had sent his people into exile in Babylon. And through the prophet Jeremiah, you can read this in Jeremiah 29 and in other places too, God had promised them that their exile would last 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, he would visit them and he would bring them back to the land of Judah. And in Ezra chapter 1, we read that God moved to fulfill his word because God is always watching over his word to perform it. God does not send a word out in this world and forget about it. He doesn't send words out into the universe and give up on them. But he has promised sovereignly in his word that he is watching over his word to perform it. He has promised us that whatever he sends forth, it cannot return to him void. So God in the heavens works. And he moves and he stirs a man called King Cyrus, who at that time was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. The Persians were the most powerful empire on the, world, on the planet at the time. They defeated the Babylonians and now King Cyrus was in charge of all the kingdoms of the earth. And God puts it into his heart that he would send people back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's house. In other words, a word came from heaven. And a word came from earth, go back to Jerusalem. The greatest authority in heaven and the greatest authority on earth said, let there be a people who go back to Jerusalem and build the house of God. God, King of kings and Lord of lords said, let people go back to Jerusalem to build me a house. And the king of all the nations of the world, says, let a people go back to Jerusalem to build God a house. There's not much room for argument there, is there? What we find too, and this is the same every time God speaks his word, whenever God commands us to do anything, he provides us with everything we need to achieve the task. Let me give you an example. Jesus said that I'm going to send you into the, all the world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he said, you cannot achieve this without me clothing you with power from on high. So I will send the promise of my Father, and I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, so that within you are all the resources of heaven to get the job done. But because God is not only God of the heavens, he's also God of the earth, whatever you need in your life to achieve his purpose, he will always provide for you. If you need a home, he will provide you with a home. If you need clothes, he'll provide you with clothes. 
If you need a job, he will provide you with a job. If you need a spouse, he'll provide you with a spouse. Because everything you need to achieve what God has called you to do, he will provide. When you know the calling of God on your life, when you know where he's placed you, where he's put you for his purpose, there is nothing that his hand won't withhold from you in order to get the job done. And this in Ezra is just such a story. The king says, let there be made provision for everything these people need. Gold, silver, goods. In other words, these people who traveled back to Jerusalem were loaded up. They didn't go back poor, they went back blessed. Everything they needed to get the job done was provided. Everything in heaven was provided. Everything on earth was provided. All the, ne- all the goods they needed was provided. Do you think they had everything they needed to do the job? They did, didn't they? So they start to build. They start to work. They start to do what God has told them. And then along comes some enemies. You see, I said to you last week, it's important we keep in our minds all the time that whatever God starts, he finishes. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He completes everything he begins. He has begun a good work in us and he will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He has no other way of working. We must understand that in our minds all the time. Whatever God has begun, he will finish. But we must also keep in our minds all the time that whatever God initiates will be challenged. Everything that God wants to do in this world will be challenged by an enemy. Tim shared with us a few weeks ago about the victory of the kingdom of heaven. That it is impossible for the darkness to overcome the power of the light. And it's important for us to know, yes, there is an enemy who will challenge us and try to get us off track. But this enemy is no match for the power of God. Satan is not anti-God. He's not an evil version of God who has the same strength and power and ability. As one of my friends put it, Satan is a fallen angel who rules by bluff. That's what he is. He's not an equal force with God. He's not an equal force with God. He's a liar. And he's a thief. And he's an accuser. And he's already been judged. But in his foolishness, he still continues to oppose everything that God wants to do. And so these people, they face some opposition, they face some difficulty, they face some challenge, and they become afraid, and they become frustrated, and they become discouraged, and so they stop building. They've been sent back to this city with one purpose, to build God a house. And they stop. They don't move away. They don't go and live in another part of the town. They don't go and go back to Babylon. They carry on living, carry on building their own houses, carry on planting harvest, carry on, carry on, carry on. But something inside them has died. Something inside them has changed irrevocably. Because they start to say to one another, the time hasn't come. For us to rebuild God's house. Time hasn't come for us to do that. 
And you think to yourself, the only reason they were in the land was to build God's house. The only reason they were living there. The only reason they had homes in Jerusalem. The only reason they had silver and gold. The only reason they had harvest to eat was so that they would have strength to build the house of God. And yet they're saying to one another, the time has not come for us to rebuild the house. It's an amazing confession. It's an amazing confession when you think their only purpose, the only reason they were there, was to build God's house. And yet now they're saying, it's not time to do that. Well, if it's not time to do that, what is it time to do? Here are a people whose confession was contrary to their calling. They had been called by God. They had been chosen by God. They had had everything they needed provided for by God. And yet now they're saying, time isn't come. It's not for us. Here are a people who had... um, Set out on pilgrimage. But now they'd settled. A people who had been pioneers. Willing to travel. Willing to risk something. Willing to put their life on the line. To build something for God. But now they had settled. And it wasn't just that they had a nice quality of life. But they'd forgotten their purpose. Everything about their life was now dulled. What does Haggai say to them? You've planted so much and you've reaped so little. You've had this harvest and it's so small. Why was that? It's very simple. When our priorities change, when the Lord is no longer first, when the kingdom of God is no longer sought as number one, everything else in your life just trickles away. These people were enjoying a poor quality of life because they had wrong priorities. I don't know how it started. I've been thinking about that this week. Did someone come along one day, a lone voice, a negative voice, and just say, I don't think the time has come. I just don't think it's time. And someone else said, I think you're right. I don't think it's time either. I don't know. Maybe someone came along and said, well, we've built our bit now, but I think it's time for someone younger to build. I think maybe it's time for someone stronger to build. I think we've lived here now. We should kick back and enjoy life. Let's let some other exiles come back. I don't know, maybe, maybe. Maybe someone said, I know that we came back and Cyrus said it was God who sent us, but maybe it wasn't the Lord at all. Maybe God never did send us back here to do that. Maybe we're just, maybe it's just the fate of history. Let's make the best of it. I don't know how it happened, but what I do know is that these people now as a whole agreed the time has not come for us to build. The common agreement amongst all the people was this. The time has not come for us to build. And yet the very reason they were living where they were living 
and alive when they were alive was so that they could build a house for God. And so God raises up a prophet. God raises up a lone voice, a man called Haggai. In a few months later, a few months' time, another man's going to come along. Two months later, a man called Zechariah is going to appear, and he's going to bring the word of the Lord as well. But at the moment, there's just Haggai. And he hears from God. And God says, Haggai, these people are speaking in a way that is contrary to my purpose. Because my purpose for them is that they would build me a house. And I have provided them everything they need to build the house. And look at how their lives are suffering. Because they're not building the house that I've called them to build. And so Haggai, a lone voice, stands up and says to the leaders of the people, this is what the Lord says. Everyone is saying that it is not time to build. But I say this to you. Get up. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself down. Get up into the hills. Go and get some wood and build the house. Haggai was not a man who uh, minced his words. If you've been reading Haggai and Zechariah this week, you think, how on earth could these guys get along? Haggai says everything in one word, and Zechariah says everything in ten words. Haggai comes along a little bit later and says, this is what the Lord says, I'm with you. And everyone starts to build. God raises up a voice and says to a people, now is the time to build. When the Bible talks about building, we're not primarily interested in an extension to this fantastic auditorium. We're talking about producing a people for God who represent God to this world. When we talk about building, we're talking about purpose, something that will take dedication and work and effort and time, but is absolutely worth it. We're talking about something that is going to last forever. We're talking about a permanent representation of Jesus that will display his manifold wisdom, not only to this world, but to the rulers in the heavenly places as well. We're talking about being those who take the word, dig down deep in our lives, put it on the rock of our foundations and build a house that will last forever. And we're talking about something that we could never, ever, ever, ever do alone. We're talking about a project that is going to involve every believer in every place. In the whole world. No one is left out. In the last few weeks the Lord has been speaking to us some wonderful things. Erling too came among us and said. Proclaim the good news. How many of you heard that message? Proclaim the good news. We've seen evidence this morning of how proclaiming the good news works. Tim Jones was among us and shared with us the victory of the kingdom of heaven. There is absolutely nothing that can stop the victory of the kingdom of heaven. And Tim, as he shared with us again and again, bringing us different scriptures, showing us different examples, he continually emphasized to us that the kingdom of God is a reality now. The kingdom of God is not a rule yet to come. It is a rule yet to come and is now. 
every day we can extend his rule and reign wherever we are. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, clear away any stone that is preventing you from building the house of God. Let me give you an example from John chapter 4. John chapter 4. It is wonderful to be sharing such a word with you today on a day in which we have heard testimony of Jesus saving someone and adding him to his body and on a day in which we welcome new members into our fellowship. Because we do that not because we want to keep an eye on everyone who comes on a Sunday but because we confidently believe that God wants us to build something together in this city that represents him. And we want to help every single member of this church find their place within the community to best serve his purpose, build his house, and extend his kingdom. You can't do that in isolation. You can't do that traveling week to week, going to different places, checking out different congregations. God wants you planted. God wants you at home. God wants you serving and being fulfilled. God wants you cared for and ruled over. God wants you to flourish. And that's why we did what we did this morning. Is anybody flourishing today? Yes, because you're planted in the house of the Lord, isn't it? And the reason we are here is to build something. I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday. He'd come to visit our new home. We'd moved into Cardiff nine months ago. He said, I can't believe you've lived here this long. I said, well, here we are. We're still here. He said, why are you here? I said, we're here because we want to build something. Not an extension to our house. I think my wife would like to build an extension to our house. But we live here in this city at this time because we believe God wants to do something in this city through this people. That's why we're here. And therefore every day you get up, whether it's raining like this morning or windy like this morning or maybe it's like that every morning. We know that God has a purpose for us to fulfill because he's brought every one of us here with a purpose. You think, why do I do this job? Why do I have these neighbors? Why am I involved in this family? Why do I have these gifts within me? Why, why can I play an instrument? Why am I good at sewing? Why am I good at baking? Why do I love opening my home? Why do I find that every time I meet a sick person, I want to pray for them? Because God has put things in you that he wants to draw out for his glory so that this church may be a manifold expression of his wonderful wisdom. Let me take you first to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please forgive me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just want to emphasize this point to us. You see, the people in Haggai's day had talked themselves out of the purpose of God. It was, it was the words on their lips that robbed them of destiny. Sure, they'd face some opposition. Sure, they'd face some pressure. But something within them died. An attitude emerged that said, we are no longer here to build. And so they began to speak in a way contrary to the purpose of God. And God does not want that for any of us here today. 1 Corinthians 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 
and verse 14. This applies to every member of the body of Christ. The body is one. Just say that with me. The body is one. The body is one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, all the more, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. Two attitudes. The first, an attitude of inferiority. Because I am not so and so, I don't belong. Second attitude of superiority. Because you're not me, I don't need you. And both of them were evidenced in words. Both of them were evidenced in words. What do you say about yourself? Tells me what you believe about yourself. If you say, well, I'm not like you, James, therefore I don't belong. That's a lie. Goodness me, you wouldn't want another one of me, would you? One's enough, though. (laughs) You say, well, I just, I'm not like everyone else. No, and that's why you belong. Let me give you an example. In the, in the time of worship this morning, we were singing and praising the Lord. You know, so we were singing songs, raising praise to him, singing the spirit. The musicians were playing. And just off to the side, there was a little boy. Did anybody see the little boy? He was just sitting there reading his Bible. You know, it's just that, just reading his Bible, reading his Bible, reading his Bible. Reading, everyone is singing, everyone is praising, everyone is just sitting there reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible. You know, the best place for you to come into fellowship with God and his word is in his presence. But here was a little boy who was teaching us something this morning and that's everybody belongs. Everyone, but there is a place for everyone before God's throne. You might not be a singer, you might not be a dancer, you might not be a musician, you may just be in your eyes a small child, but there is a place for you to come and sit and be with God. And have him feed you his word. You belong. You belong. You belong. The other attitude is the same. I don't need anyone. It's just me. That's not a body. That's an ego. But it comes out of your mouth. It comes out of your mouth. And the Holy Spirit does not want anyone in this community to be confessing something about themselves or about another member of the community that is contrary to the word of God. 
Why? Because we're fussy about confession? No, because it'll rob you of your purpose. Before you know it, you'll suddenly be saying, now's not the time to build. This isn't the year to go to Bible week. Tonight's not the night to go to the meeting. And you're just slowly, suddenly you'll be harvesting nothing. But you were born to build. You were created to belong. You are destined to rule and to reign. Let me show you how Jesus dealt with this. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Isn't it great to have found where you belong? Yes. I was talking to a man recently, maybe last year I went to visit him, and a number of people had left the church he was part of, and he was, carrying, he was doing a little manual job while I was talking to him, and many of his friends had left the church, many people had moved away, and I said, do you mind me asking you, why are you still here, why haven't you moved away? He stopped what he was doing, he put everything down, he looked me in the eye and he said, because I found where I belong. And he just carried on doing his job as if the question I'd asked him was, was silly. Of course I wouldn't leave. I found where I belong. What does Jesus say? John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus has just met the woman at the well, has told her everything that she's ever done. In John chapter 4, the disciples come back having bought food. And Jesus says to them this, John chapter 4, verse 35. Don't you say... There are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you've benefited from their labor. Now watch that carefully. Jesus says, okay boys, this is what you see. And so therefore, this is what you say. You say, four months till harvest, because around you, you don't see any harvest. So you're putting off into the future something that I'm doing in the now. Because I say to you, look, look, the harvests are white. And so what Jesus saw affected what he said, and therefore that affected what he did. Same situation, same city, same people, but the Lord looks at it and says, there's harvest here, let's get to work. The disciples say, there's no harvest here, come back in four months. And what they said affected what they got. How many of you know that there are things in your life God wants to do today that you've been saying to him, do it in four months? How many of you here know that there are things God wants to do in you today and you've been saying do it in four months the tragedy is the thing God, God will want to do in you in four months he won't be able to do because you've been putting what he wants to do today off today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts so I just want to give you three words three words that you can do Three things you can do today. The first one is see. What do you see? 
And how do you see it? Jesus looked out upon a crowd and saw harvest. We've looked in our mind's eye this morning at the city of Cardiff and we've said, it's filled with God's glory. What do you see? The next thing is speak. Say what you see. Be those who take hold of what you see in the spirit, what you see in the word, and speak it out. Be the first prophet to your own life. As you see in the spirit that God is saving members of your family, speak it out. Speak it out in prayer and in praise. Speak it out at home. Speak it out in the car. Put the promises of God on your lips. Because we will never ever rise above our confession. You can't receive anything that you're not confessing. That's why, the, that's why the Israelites couldn't go into the promised land. We can't take it. Well, then you can't go in. So see, speak, and start. What do you mean? Well, don't put off any longer what you know you need to do today. Don't delay until tomorrow what you know you need to build today came home from a meeting this week and my wife was in the front room and she turned around and she, her, her clothes were covered in paint. I thought, what, what have you been doing? Obviously she'd been painting. But she said, I found something in the garage that I hadn't finished painting and I had to finish it before I could start another job. I thought, oh Lord, that's a good lesson. I need to learn that. Don't try and start something else in your life when God is tr- wanting to finish something in this season. So see, say, and start. You see, you are not, you are not like the people in Haggai's day. That's not what you're like. And that's not what you're destined to be. You're not a people putting off things, you're a people taking hold of things. You're here this morning because you want to build, don't you? But this morning I want to arm your faith so that when we face challenges in the days to come, we won't quit. But instead, like Nehemiah says, I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. His confession kept him going. Now, there are three groups of people I want to pray for very quickly this morning. Um, People who've said certain things about their lives and they know today it needs to change. First group of people who have said, not me. As I've been talking to you about building, talking to you about advancing God's purpose, as you've heard testimonies about people being saved in work and so on and so forth, some of us have said, not me. The Lord says to you today, yes you. Others have said, yes me, but not now. Not now. Maybe in four months, but the Lord says to you, yes now. Then the third group Some of us have said, it's too late. It's too late. Could have done that before, but now it's too late. The Lord says to you, it's still now. It's still now. So if that applies to any of you right now, just stand. Just stand. There's no condemnation. If you've said, not me. If you've said, not now. If you've said, it's too late. Just stand to your feet.
like I said to you last week, there's no condemnation, there's no arm twisting. But God is the God of yes. God is the God of today. God is the God of now. Lord, we just thank you for those who are standing in your presence right now. And we thank you that they are clothed with your righteousness and they are washed in your peace. We thank you that they are not condemned, but they're justified. And we thank you that today you are cutting something off from their lives that they will never have to endure again. Lord, we pray right now that you would strengthen them, strengthen their faith, and most of all, strengthen their confession. So that in the days to come, they will speak to you and say, yes. They will speak to you and say, now. They will speak to you and say, let it be. In your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you, everyone. Praise God. Amen.